All right. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. If you're online, glad you're there. Um, and we hope that you'll continue those conversations right after church. No reason to rush off, right? Uh, you've already missed breakfast, so why would you be in a hurry? Um, we've just got a quick, short series. It's, it's two weeks, but we've got a little week sandwich in the middle. So this week and then two weeks from now, uh, this series called Jars of Clay, and we'll talk about that. But then next week, I don't want to give too much of it away. It's a pretty special Sunday, so you don't want to miss it. Um, so just, you know, just like you always do, you don't miss it, do you? Uh, as we dig into this, the question I want you to ponder, I suppose, before we look at this passage of Scripture and really a longer passage. I wonder if you're discouraged a little bit. And that discouragement can be any number of reasons. It could be because of what's going on worldwide or local. It could be because of something that's happening in your life, your family, something like that. Um, I just wonder if you're dealing with a little bit of discouragement. And discouragement shows up in a variety of ways. Some of you, when you're discouraged, you sort of just shut down and withdraw and just sort of close up, you know, like a little turtle and just kind of hide a little bit. Some of you, when you're discouraged, you kind of do the other thing. You take your shell off and you kind of put the gloves on and you're ready to have a good argument and you just need to kind of throw down. And so quit throwing elbows, though. You shouldn't be telling other people how they show. And some of you, when you're discouraged, you just sort of get busy with other things. Maybe things don't matter. And so it, discouragement shows up a variety of ways. Most of us think of discouragement as just being down, but I want you to just ponder that a little bit wider than that and consider, are you feeling a little bit discouraged lately? Now, the verse that is kind of on tap for today, maybe you saw it on the screen earlier, it comes in the middle of a larger passage. And we want you to consider this passage, but first, let's just take a look at the verse. And maybe it's one that you're familiar with. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This is the middle of chapter 4 in the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In fact, let's say it all together, okay? Shall we? Let's all say it together. Let's start. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Let's try it one more time. That was good. Did it feel good? I mean, you sounded good, like you've had some coffee this morning maybe. Here we go. Let's try it again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, this verse comes in the middle of chapter 4. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians. We'll talk about the context and all of that. But this week and then two weeks from now, both Sundays are all about a bigger section of Scripture, all about the whole chapter 4 and all about the very next chapter 5. And so if you sometimes aren't sure what to do with reading your Bible, maybe you're not a part of the Bible reading plan, or maybe you don't in any regular way open up your Bible and you're not sure how to engage in it, then for the next couple of weeks, this is an easy, this is low-hanging fruit. This is an easy step for you, okay? You could open up your Bible app. You could open up your, you know, this, these old pages, you know, these real thin, you got to be careful, you don't tear them, especially if you haven't used it in a while, they may be a little dusty. Um, and if that's the case, then all you have to do over the next few weeks is just kind of consider some of the things we'll talk about today, and then God will tell you something, the Holy Spirit always does. Often somebody says, I can't believe you said, and I thought, I never said that. The Holy Spirit did, though, Holy Spirit told you something, which is so much better than my words, because you're here, and God knows you, and he knows your circumstances, and just take some time to read these two chapters. 
You could read them all, both chapters, all the words in both chapters in about five minutes. It wouldn't take you long. I mean, even if you're a slow reader and some of it you'll think, I have no idea what he's talking about. And some of it will be like, aha, moments for you. Light bulbs will come on. And then you have taken some time to allow God's word to kind of permeate or, or find your heart or maybe guide you in a spot that you're in, something you're unsure about. If you'll do that over the next few weeks, then you've got an opportunity to know right where to go, where to start, where to end, and then how to allow God to give that chance, okay? But this verse is where we start, but it has a big context. There's verses before it and there's verses after as part of a big letter. But it's one of my favorite verses in the entire passage. In fact, it's one of my favorite things that Paul ever wrote. In this verse, he gives us the whole context of scripture he gives us the story of the gospel. And you might not see it yet, but I bet you will by the time we're done today. And there are some things that he says in chapter four that could take your discouragement and then sort of put it where it belongs. Like this feeling that I sometimes visit, but I know to leave it alone. This feeling that I'm gonna box up. I understand where it comes from now and I'm not gonna use it or even address it. I'm just gonna allow it to do its own thing. But... I know now what to do with those feelings in my heart. And so Paul, in this one verse, says, well, this treasure that we have, we have it in jars of clay. And there's a reason for it. it the reason is, is it shows that this all-surpassing power isn't really from us, but it belongs to God. Some translations use the, the word, the phrase, instead of jars of clay, Maybe the NASB, maybe a translation you're familiar with. It, instead of jars of clay, it says earthen vessel. I like that too. But we have this treasure in a earthen vessel. Jars of clay, kind of the same thing. What does that mean? You know what clay is, right? I mean, clay is that stuff that when you try to grow something in it, it doesn't really work. It, it doesn't have the good dirt in it. You have some clay in your yard? When they came in to plant trees in your yard, did they dump good stuff in it so that those trees would grow? Or maybe when you built an above ground garden, a raised bed garden, did you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or call the landscaper and get some clay? Did you get some clay? No, no, you got manure, didn't you? I mean, you got the stuff that stinks when you pull it out of the bag and, and that you smell that and you smell growth. When you dig into your yard and you find clay, you think... This is a good place to put a foundation. This won't grow a thing. Clay is this, this ground that all of the good stuff has been filtered out, but what's left is minerals. And it's horrible for growing, but it makes a great container. What's left is the, the hard, firm stuff, and it's the minerals that make up clay. And Paul uses this analogy to describe the gospel. My life and your life. You and I were the jars of clay. Paul says this treasure exists in this earthen vessel. Your earthen vessel is a jar of clay. So let me ask you, how's your jar? Is your jar good? Is it in good shape? How do you say, I like my jar? I like my jar, it's in good shape. Anybody, a couple people? Okay, Havercade obviously needs a little humility, but that's fine. I mean, God, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So I don't know what's gonna happen to Mark this week, but you know, he'll maybe tell us next week. And so there is this, this 
idea that Paul wants us to grasp that, that what you have, your body, it exists, it's a jar. And this jar, it's an earthen vessel. And we know some things about jars of clay. We know that they're fragile. We know that they break. And we know that they get old. And we know when they're new, they're shiny and pretty and you put it on the shelf. We know some are utilitarian and we know some are things that you fall into pieces and they just get thrown away. I have been working on my jar a bit. I joined the gym across the street. Josh Parmeter joined that gym and I had a little injury and I thought, I, I, need to go, I need to go join the gym. I need to rehab this injury. And so I showed up. I didn't know if I'd be cramping Josh's style by showing up at his gym, but he seemed to not mind me being there. And, um, and funny, I haven't seen him there very much, but I have noticed over the last six months that Josh's jar is looking pretty good. He's got a good looking jar. And I don't know what he's doing, how he's eating or what muscles he's working out, but he's, he's, he's got a fine jar. And I walk into this gym and I see people who are working on their jars, paying attention to their jars. And they're trying to change the shape and the look and the fit. Some of it's external, right? I want something sticking out here. I want something here. Some of it's internal. I want this to pump strong. I want it to hold me up when I need to do strenuous things, but we have a jar. How's your jar? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? I mean, over time, I've noticed my jar just gets, well, I mean, at least a little worse, but it gets worse. I mean, when I get up now, my jar makes some weird creaky noise. <laughs> I got pops and all kinds of noises that I didn't know jars could make. It's my jar. And Paul uses this analogy of an earthen jar to help you understand the nature of the gospel. And so, this jar of clay, it's a container, but it contains a treasure. What is it? But we have this treasure in a jar of clay. What is it? It's, it was all surpassing power, but what's that? And the point of it, of course, that we understand is from God and not from us. It's not really anything to do with us. And the older you get, the more you recognize that there's a certain number of things you can do to help your container, but there's, at the end of the day, only so much you can do. And the efforts that you need to engage in to help your jar grow exponentially and the results shrink exponentially. And it's as if God wants us to understand the truth of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 more thoroughly, more completely, more intimately as we grow older. Some things don't get better. Some things are just harder. This treasure is the very presence of God. It is the image of God. It is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. It is who we are in our very essence that we were created. It's the part of us that God breathed life into and that, that is different than the jar. It's the container holding that which God made. And that, I'm guessing that has changed for you if you're a follower of Jesus in some pretty significant ways. In fact, it has gotten better, unlike your jar. 
I'm not implying anything about your jar. I'm just speaking from personal experience. But I bet the contents of your jar have changed. Maybe you've become kinder, gentler, more loving. Maybe you have these things that we would call, as Paul does in Galatians, a fruit of having this all-surpassing power within you, joy and peace. Ah, That doesn't mean you don't go through discouragement or seasons where it's very, very hard, but there is a, a nature to these contents of this jar that is very different than the container itself. This analogy that he uses, there's a reason he does this. There's a reason he says, but we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, your vessel. The vessel you're discouraged with, the vessel that takes lots of maintenance appointments, the the vessel that you know is going to eventually give out on you and you've watched your friends and people my age, we talk about things like appointments for our earthen vessels and all of the ways in which we need to take care of ourselves. There's a reason why Paul uses this analogy our jar, and our contents, two very different things. This is just the beginning of this little bit of passage. If you find yourself discouraged, then these next two verses will really help just a little more. And it kind of gives you a glimpse of hope. He goes on to say, it's the same section of scripture. We are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I don't know why, but when Paul describes all of the different circumstances that could create hardship or difficulty or pain for us, it's encouraging to me because he gives the the but. He gives the other side of it. He says, with all honesty and with all transparency, I know this is hard, but we're going to be okay. I know what you're going through can feel unbearable, but you're going to make it. I promise you will. It's as if somebody has actually looked at the story and said, I know how it feels, but take heart. Now, this this passage is part of a bigger section of scripture that I cannot imagine another two chapters in the Bible that are more applicable to what's going on right now in our culture. Now, I know Paul wrote it to a very specific church in the first century, and they were going through some really unique things. But it's as if God knew we would be at this moment in history and we would be facing a culture that is about to be split wide open again. It feels like there is just contention at every level on almost unimaginable issues. And Paul is going to Knit the church together. So before you take time to read these two chapters and before we dig into just one simple idea from chapter four and two weeks from now, wrap it up, let me just give you a little bit of context, okay? So these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, take some time to dig in over the next few weeks, okay? Just read them on your own. Just take your time. You can Google a few phrases. Maybe some of you are real students and you like to study. That's great. You'll find all kinds of stuff uh, that's available about all of this. But let me give you the context and the background, and maybe this will help you see why what Paul says matters so much. So 
Paul first plants a church in this little town called Corinth. I say little town, it's not, it's a big city. It's a metropolitan city. It's not distinctly Jewish, although there are Jews that live there. It's mainly a Greek place and, and Gentile place. But you can read the whole story in Acts 18. He plants this church with the help of some co-laborers. Silas and Timothy are part of it, they help. And not long after he plants this church, this church begins to have issues. Serious division and contention and arguing. It's almost like, you know, where two or three are gathered. I know Jesus said, there I am in their midst. But it feels like when you are around church people, where two or three are gathered means there's an argument's going to break out. And that's exactly what happened at the church in Corinth. And it did over and over and over again. All kinds of contention. It feels like when you read the letters that it was centered around selfishness. I mean, there's no big, you know, dastardly evil sin. I mean, there's plenty of that. But it feels like it centers from or comes from a core of me wanting what I want and I'll do what I want to get what I want. And I don't care if it costs you. I don't care if it comes at your expense. And so their gatherings, their holy communion meals, their families, their their small groups, their home groups, all of these things were riddled with all kinds of issues and Paul begins to address it because he, of course, is sort of the father, spiritual father of the Corinthian church. And so that's what he does. He addresses it. He writes this letter called 1 Corinthians. And we have that letter. It's in our Bible. It's coming right before this one, 2 Corinthians. And he begins to address some of the issues. And this is what he says, and it's pretty simple. He says, look, if you want to fix the problems among you, then you're going to have to love. If you don't know anything about 1 Corinthians, then there's a little passage. I mean, even if you don't know anything at all, you know at least about this one passage. What's it called? The love chapter. That's right. And it's famous, and it's incredible, and if you had a wedding, you were, probably had this read at your wedding. This, this is what Paul does, in essence. He says, look, what's causing your problem is a big pile of selfishness because you don't understand agape love. And agape love means that I want what's best for you, even if it costs me. Even if it costs me, even if it's inconvenient for me, even if it comes at great expense to me, I want what's best for you. And so I will move in my relationship with you in love. I will prefer you in love. I'm not going to keep a record of the things you do wrong. I'm going to show kindness. I'm going to show not just kindness, but courtesy and self-sacrificial love. It's agape love. And that is his solution. What they want is for Paul to pick sides. What they want is for Paul to say, you know, I mean, you guys are right, you guys are wrong, so you should start acting like them. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul knows that reconciliation, really important word for chapter five, only happens when love is the first order of business. Now just stop for a second. Just hit pause and think about our current divided, contentious culture. Solutions are only found when love takes center stage, agape love. Now, before you think, I know, I wish they'd love right. No, 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 that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not how it works. That's what Paul wanted. Paul wanted them, it, they wanted Paul, that's what they wanted, for Paul to take a side. He's not gonna take a side. He's gonna say, love is, love's the answer. 
It's not just any love. It's love as expressed through the life of Jesus, agape love. And it's unique. It's not an emotion. It's not a feel-good thing, although it does feel good if you do it right. That's not what it's about. It's about agape love. I practically want what's best for you, even if it costs me. And many people in the church in Corinth didn't like it at all. It made them mad. And so Paul is rejected now as an apostle. They say, you know, we don't like him. We don't like him. His solution is just, you know, it it doesn't work. It's not right. It's not strong enough. We want him to agree with us. And so they reject Paul because they have some other teachers that have come by. And these other teachers, they had a very different gospel. It was still about Jesus. But their gospel looks very different than Paul's gospel. And so the question that you ought to ask is, why was Paul rejected? He doesn't say a ton about these other teachers. But in a few letters, Corinthians being a couple of them, you get some glimpses of these other teachers. This was the beginning of what we would call today the health and wealth gospel. Okay? The health and wealth gospel teaches, the, and as a basic premise, that if you follow Jesus, that you, everything will work out well for you. And when we say work out well for you, what we mean is not that you'll one day go to heaven, although that's true, but that you will experience God's blessing here on this earth, and it will show up in terms of you being disease-free and you having the biggest house on the block. Now, when I say it like that, it sounds utterly ridiculous, doesn't it? But what they taught was that if God's on your side, you'll be blessed. And he will take care of you. And that taking care of you has a very different look than Paul's life. This is why Paul was rejected. Now, if you miss this, you'll miss the entire gut of 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. Paul was a poor man. He didn't have much to his name. He had trouble. He found himself in persecution over and over again. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten Paul was a loser with a capital L. He was a loser. And Paul's life looked like that of what we would call a worldly loser. And the Corinthians looked at Paul's life and they looked at the life of some of these other preachers who dressed nice and had bigger ships and had nicer houses and were wealthy and taken care of. And they asked this question, who would you rather follow? Paul? Measly Paul, unsuccessful Paul, Paul with no status, or these other guys. And so many of the Corinthians rejected Paul's leadership. Who would you rather be like? Now, this is an essential idea. If you understand this, then you know exactly where this is headed. And it's important that you grasp it. So then, Paul writes this letter, they reject him, and Paul follows up with a visit and a letter. In fact, he calls it his painful visit in 2 Corinthians. He shows up and he needs to share some things with the Corinthians, and it's painful. He writes a letter that he writes, he says in the scriptures, with tears and with anguish. And Paul is wanting everyone to understand the nature of what's going on. He wants them to understand that we're not talking about just a disagreement about whether you ought to have church at 9 or 1030. He's not talking about whether you ought to, you know, believe this or believe that, some incidental nature of the Christian faith. Paul is talking about a fundamental difference between the gospel and not the gospel. What it means to follow Jesus and what it means to follow something else. 
And Paul wants them to understand that it's not about him. It's not even about these other preachers. It's about how you see the world, who God is and what he's up to and what you can count on him for. And if you don't understand that, then you miss the very nature of why Jesus came. So follow, he follows up with a visit and a letter. We don't have that letter. We don't know where it is, didn't survive that we know of. And we know a little bit about his visit. But then as a result of his follow-up and his letter, Paul writes 2 Corinthians. That's why you have what you have. Because Paul wants them to know this is the nature of the gospel. And who would have thought that from the first century until now, that something as ridiculous as the health and wealth gospel would have survived. But all you have to do is turn on your radio, turn on your TV, and somebody's teaching it and preaching it. Look at the bestsellers. They're in the top five Christian books. In fact, it seems as if we never get tired of the message that if we follow Jesus, he will make our physical life here on this earth absolutely and utterly amazing. Even if he hasn't for us, the idea that he has for somebody means that there's hope that our bank account will grow or our house will grow or we'll get healed of whatever it is that we have that's riddled our body, our jar. But it still exists today. And so it could be that your discouragement has set in because you've been a little distracted by success or comfort, or status, or political power. It could be that you are discouraged because you have misunderstand, misunderstood what God is going to do for you, in you, and through you. It could be that you have never bought into the whole bucket of the health and wealth gospel, but you have in subtle ways, been influenced by this idea that if God is with me, it will all work out. And what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians is this. Your rejection of me as an apostle, well, I'll live. I got a bunch of other churches to take care of. But it shows your values. And your values betray your misunderstanding of the gospel. You've completely misunderstood and your hope is all in the things that you can see which is why he says at the very beginning of chapter 4 therefore since God in his mercy has given us this what new way we do not what if you've been losing heart it's probably because this new way has been a little bit elusive to you. It's probably because your values have gotten a little shifted. Values don't change overnight. They just sort of ebb and flow and move this way and that. If you found yourself losing heart and discouraged and not sure what to believe or who to trust, then it could be because you've misunderstand the scriptures you misunderstand what it means to walk in this new way or the new covenant. But Paul, 
has made it incredibly clear what it is. Paul is saying to the, the church at Corinth, you think the path involves you climbing and ascending. You believe that if God is with you, it will involve you becoming better. And better by you is defined by happier, more content, having more, healthier, wealthier, and all the things that would fall under that. But Paul says the path I'm calling you to has a different shape. And if you miss that shape, then you won't even know what it means to follow Jesus. Now, when I watch the culture do what it's doing today, even by followers of Jesus, that I have to know and understand, at least by observation, that many of us have missed the shape of this path. Paul says over and over that it's a cruciform path, that it is the shape of a cross. And that shape is evidenced by everything Paul writes about what it means to follow Jesus. It's why he's unsuccessful by any world standard. It's why he looks poor. It's why he finds himself in jail and persecuted and probably wearing the same rags that he wore last time he visited Corinth. This cruciform path is the way of Jesus. It's in the shape of a cross. And it involves a level of surrender that people who pursue other ends, they don't even understand or begin to comprehend and so when Paul says that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, he's calling himself an earthen vessel. He's calling you an earthen vessel. He's saying that this is in contrast, your physical life, this jar of clay that you live in, this debilitating mechanism that you travel this earth with, it is following a cruciform path. But it includes, it holds, it's a container that has this, this treasure in it. And this is the nature of the gospel. But my guess is if you've been discouraged lately, it's because this truth of Jesus has been escaping you. You've been distracted a bit. Because those of us who each day find ourselves, and some days I am, some days I'm not, surrendered to this cruciform path, well, joy replaces anxiety. Kindness replaces anger. Peace replaces being restless because I've surrendered. Paul says it a different way at the very end of the chapter. Here's what he says at the end of the chapter. And you are familiar with some of these verses, but to see how they tie together, what's really gonna help when you sit down to read these two chapters this week. So we fix our eyes not on what is, what? But on what is, does that even make sense? Can you even put that together? So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I can't tell you how many times I find myself in the middle of the week and clearly my eyes have been fixed on what is seen. 
And the result, of course, is anxiety and fear and anger and a lack of peace. But when I lean into this truth and I understand I'm walking around in a jar of clay, but I hold within this earthen vessel the truth and the beauty of God and who he is, everything begins to change. I find myself with my eyes fixed on what is seen. Look, you can choose to live this way or you can be smacked by the truth of reality when you least expect it. Don and I, over the last two or three days, we, we've been dog-sitting for uh, our son and, and daughter-in-law. We haven't had a puppy in the house in 10 years. This puppy is about 35 pounds and uh, about three months old. It's going to be a big dog. And uh, we're not used to dogs that big. We had little dogs. We were outside on our patio, had the you know, screen door shut, and we were playing with... Uh, uh, Winter is the name of the dog, after Captain Winter, if you're a fan. And, uh, and Winter was, was running and romping and playing, and she decided, I guess, that she was going to go in and get a drink. And so she just made a beeline. Now, Austin and Maddie don't have a sliding glass door, and they don't have a screen door either. And she, all 35 pounds of her, just went straight into this screen, and she bounced off like it was a trampoline, <laughs> landed right in the middle on her back in the middle of our patio. Of course, immediately we're thinking, how are we going to explain a broken leg or broken back to our kids? But that was quickly replaced when we saw her scramble, look up and shake her head. And what in the world just happened? This is what happens when you confront, confront the reality of what is not seen and then come to realize that your ladder was leaned against the wrong wall, that you were chasing the wrong things, that you valued the wrong set of values. We have this treasure in jars of clay. So let me ask you a few questions. Let me ask you a few things to ponder as we wrap up. The band's gonna come up. We're gonna sing just a little bit more. It'll give you a chance to ponder and, and consider as we do this. So let me have you do this. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And let me guide you through a couple of thoughts that will help you sort out what God is up to right now. How's your focus these days on what is seen or what is unseen? What has been your attention? What are some of the seen things in your world and in your life that are causing you to lose heart? What do you think it would look like if you were to fix your eyes on things that are unseen? If you were going to lay your discouragement before God, 
and he were going to adjust what you're finding important these days, what do you think would fade from the list? Lord, this is our prayer this morning, knowing that we are walking around this this earth, this is terra firma, in an earthen vessel. These terms that Paul uses reminding us about what is temporary and what will last and what what will not last. Lord, our hope and our prayer on this day is that you would, through the gentleness of your spirit, adjust our perspective. Help us to see what you see. Help us to know what you know. Help us to walk with this truth deep in our hearts. Lord, we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And we all say together, amen.